Check, check, check. All right. Hi, everybody. How's everyone doing? Good. All right. Who went on the retreat? Did anyone go? Wasn't it so amazing? It was so good. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. It was such a nice time. Let's all stand, and then we'll pray, and we'll go into our time of worship. Lord, we just come before you, God, and we're just here to meet with you and just sing praises to you, Father. You're so, so good and so worthy of it all. I just pray, Lord, as we just go into this time of singing to you that our hearts are just focused on you, God, and you um, just make us feel so light, God, and give us joy and just fill our hearts with worship, Father, and um, help us to um, not think about anything that's happening after this or anything that happened before, God. Just take all the stress and the worries of this world out of our hearts and out of our minds, God, and let us just worship you for who you are. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen. Let's worship. Yeah. 
Fire 
Darkness, my God. 
situation in every circumstance you are so good to us and so we will stand in this place and we will stand in this world God and we will worship your name and we will proclaim that you are king and that you are our king and our father God and you are our savior and we just pray Lord that as we go into this um, message Father that your spirit stays with us God and that you just penetrate our hearts with something new. Just reveal yourself to us, God. Show us something new. We just thank you for this time of worship. We just thank you for everything that you do for us, Father. And we pray all this, and together we say, Amen. Amen. Well, before you guys take a seat, why don't you guys greet one another? Good evening, ladies. So did it start raining outside? I was disappointed when I left my house and it had stopped raining because I love, love, love rain. But is it raining? No? <sighs> Just stopped? Okay, maybe it'll rain when I leave, huh? <laughs> maybe. Okay, we'll see. All right, you remember what our last lesson was about? And it was talking about godly repentance, and it was the steps that we need to take. The first step was conviction of sin and repentance. We need to acknowledge that we are a sinner. And then the next step was that regeneration process so that God does in our hearts and our minds. The Holy Spirit comes, and he resides in us, and he changes us from the inside. And then step three is surrendering to his lordship. You remember, and I told the story about the stinky refrigerator because it was unplugged from power. Yeah, you remember that one? And then step four is to remember his faithfulness, especially when we are going through difficult times. And don't forget everything that he has done for you up until this point because this is what the children of Israel had done. They had forgotten everything that God had done for them. And we also learned about true godly repentance. And that was not giving an excuse for our sin, but just turning away from our sin and saying, God, you're right, I'm wrong, please forgive me. And now this week we see all the struggles that the Israelites have had to go through because of their dis disobedience. They recognized it was because they kept turning away from God that all these troubles fell upon them. So before we get into his word, let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your mercy. And as we read this scripture, we see how merciful you were to the children of Israel. And likewise, you are merciful to us, and you pour out your grace upon us also, Lord. And as we go through this amazing story, this amazing prayer that is written for us, would you help us to apply it to our lives? Would you help us to see ourselves 
in this prayer. And so we give you this evening. We ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what chapter 9 is, beginning in verse 18, or actually a little before that, was a litany or a prayer of the people. And after they had confessed their sins and repented, they began this long prayer of how merciful, said, you know what, God, we did this, and yet you forgave us. We did that, and you forgave us. We did that, too, and you forgave us. And so they go into this long prayer. And so they begin with a list of things they did wrong, followed by, but God, you were merciful. So at the... uh, end of verse 17 of Nehemiah chapter 9, it says, you did not abandon them. Then verse 18, even when they made an idol shaped like a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. And that was God with a a little g there. And they committed terrible blasphemies. And this story is found in Exodus. And this was after, mind you, They'd been given the Ten Commandments. And what's the number one commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. And now they're making a god. And so to set the stage, Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai to get further instructions from God. And while he was was up there talking with God, this started happening. And it was found in Exodus chapter 32, and I'll begin with verses 1 through 6. It's a long read, but you kind of sets the stage on why this is so bad. And when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. This is the New Living. I love the New Living translation. It says, make us some gods, again, little g, who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. Now remember that. He molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Right away we see what's wrong here. It wasn't a calf that brought them out of captivity in Egypt, right? And so they're, they're starting right off with the blasphemies here. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he kind of said, wow, this is pretty cool. So he built an altar in front of the calf. So he's just joining in in all the revelry here. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The Lord. And it's like, Wow, first you're building an altar to the calf, and now you're saying we're going to have a festival to the Lord. And the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. Okay, sounds pretty pretty good. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Okay, so God tells Moses to go back down the mountain. He says, you're not going to believe what these kids are doing. They're being very bad. And so Moses came upon this scene, and if that wasn't bad enough, they made the lamest excuse ever for their sin. And I'm reminded, uh, Jeff, as a camp director for years and years and years, he says he was always amazed at junior hires. They would do the dumbest things and then give the lamest excuse as to why they did it. Listen to this. Tell me it doesn't sound like a junior hire. I said, In Exodus 32, verse 21 through 24, it says, Finally, he turned to Aaron after Moses looked upon this scene. He says, And demanded, What did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Don't get so upset, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, Make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Yep, that's true. He did say that. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. (laughs) Really? That's the best excuse you could come up with. Isn't that amazing? But unfortunately, the punishment was severe for their blasphemy. Uh, I think that day about a half of them were killed. 
But the great thing about this story is that God did make a, a way of restoration. And then verse 19 says, but in your great mercy, you did not abandon them to die in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud still led them forward by day, and the pillar of fire showed them the way through the night. Even though they did this, God still loved them and said, okay, I am still your God. I'm still going to be with you. I'm not going to abandon you. Then verse 20 says, you sent your good spirit. Notice it's capital S. So this is the Holy Spirit to instruct them. And you did not stop giving them manna from heaven or water for their thirst. See, they didn't have to worry about food or water. God took care of their needs. And we see this happening also uh, in the New Testament. Jesus said something very, very similar. In Matthew 6, 28 through 30, he says, And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly take care of you. Why do you have so little faith? Isn't that wonderful? So verse 21, so for 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. So they wore the same outfit for 40 years, lady. I worry about what I wore last week to the Bible study. So, okay, I know this is being recorded, and I cannot be seen with the same outfit on two weeks in a row. Because, you know, we get in our, our favorite outfit mode. Have you ever done that? I do the same thing. But here they had one outfit, one pair of shoes. I'm never going to complain about not having an Easter dress. So... <laughs> It's a tradition in my family. We always got Easter dresses. You know, I had sisters and stuff. It was fun. You know, oh, you know, it was the, the one year, I mean, the one time of the year that I got a new dress. And so anyway, they had the same outfit for 40 years, and it never wore out, and their shoes didn't wear out, and they were comfortable. Must have had memory foam or something. So verse 22, then you helped our ancestors conquer kingdoms and nations, and you placed your people in every corner of the land. They took over the land of King Sihon of Heshbon and the land of King Od of Bashan. So they were known as the people who had God on their side. And wherever they went, people trembled. They go, oh, here comes the Israelites. We might as well just surrender now because they've got the God of the universe on their side. What can we do against them? Then 23 says, you made their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and brought them into the land you had promised to their ancestors. And this is a, a promise that was given to Abraham. And it's found in Genesis 22:17. He says, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And that promise was fulfilled, wasn't it? That's exactly what their life was like. They were provided with everything they needed. Wherever they went, they conquered, and they were given the beautiful land, the promised land. Then 24 and 25 says, They went in and took possession of the land. You subdued whole nations before them. Even the Canaanites who inhabited the land were powerless. Your people could deal with these nations and their kings as they pleased. Our ancestors captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took over houses full of good things <coughs> with cisterns already dug and vineyards and olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate until they were full and grew fat and enjoyed themselves in all your blessings. They had it all, didn't they? They had it all. But they weren't satisfied. God was faithful in all these circumstances, but they weren't satisfied. Look at what verse 26 tells us. But despite all this, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on the law. They killed your prophets who warned them to return to you, and they committed terrible blasphemies. Isn't that sad? 
They were given everything by God. They started to go wayward. So God sends prophets to, to warn them, saying, hey, God's going to bring down terror upon you if you don't turn from your wicked ways. And what did they do? They killed the prophets. Luke 13, 34 says, oh, Jesus says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together <clears throat> as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. This is what Jesus said about his own people. And they killed the prophets. They ended up killing Jesus too, didn't they? Of course, it was for our sin that he was killed. But they didn't like being told that what they were doing was wrong. Then verse 27 says, You handed them, he's talking about the Israelites, over to their enemies who made them suffer. But in their time of trouble, they cried to you, and you heard them from heaven. In your great mercy, you sent them liberators who rescued them from their enemies. So the picture we have here is that they were disobedient. Therefore, they were conquered by their enemies because they strayed from God. They got outside of his protection. It would be like an animal, in a sense, escaping from the zoo, you know. They don't know any better. They just want to run away and do their own thing. Uh, most of us can relate if you've got dogs. Don't they just love to escape? I was cracking up the other day. I was watching a, a neighborhood dog had escaped. Big old Malmute. I mean, this guy was big. And he got out the front door, and you could tell he's going, I'm free, I'm free, you know. And he's running all over this cul-de-sac. And the owner is calling him, you know, saying, Togo, Togo, come on, come on, come on. And she's running with her leash trying to, you know, and she can't keep up with them because, you know, they're running dogs. They pull sleds, you know, and he's just free, and he thinks he's having the best time in the world. And then he starts going towards Pennsylvania. Now, we all, I mean, Pennsylvania is still residential area, but it's still a very busy street. And she's beginning to panic. And so pretty soon the whole neighborhood is trying to chase this dog down. And he thinks, oh, boy, this is a game, you know. But you know what? She wasn't trying to get him back into the house because she wanted to ruin his fun. She wanted to get him back in the house so that he wouldn't get hit by a car. It's the same way with God. He doesn't want us to escape his protection because we could get hit out there in the world. So he says, you know what? I have these guidelines. I want you to follow my, my laws. And if you do that, if you follow after me, if you do what the word of God says, then you're within my protection. But you know what? We're just like Togo, aren't we? We like to run because it's fun. You know, so just remember that. But God gives us his word that if we follow after him, we will have his protection. Then 28 says, but as soon as they were at peace, your people again committed evil in your sight. And once more, you let the enemies conquer them. Yet whenever your people turned and cried to you again for help, you listened once more from heaven. In your wonderful mercy, you rescued them many times. So it doesn't matter how many times you run he will be there to, to bring you back. All you have to do is say, I'm sorry, can I come back? Sure, come on in. Come on in my house. But now starts that, that series of sin and repentance and sin again in the children of Israel. And all through um, the books of First and Second Kings, if you ever want to read it, it's actually kind of tragic because the people will have a good king, they'll have a bad king, a good king, bad king. And they do evil, and then they repent, and they're good for a little while. And then they start the process all over again, and they're evil again. And then a prophet will come, and he'll warn them. And what do they do? They kill the prophet. And so what God does is they say, you know what? I'm going to have to teach you guys a lesson. Just like a parent needs to scold their child when they're being bad. You don't want them to be tyrants. So you scold them when they're doing things wrong, right? It's because you love them. It's the same way with God. Because he loves us, he goes, okay, I'm going to have to scold you a little bit. I'm going to have to bring some difficult times upon you. But in this case, the Israelites were so disobedient, so stubborn, he had to really, really punish them hard. 
Verse 29 says, you warned them to return to your law, but they became proud and obstinate and disobeyed your commands. They did not follow your regulations by which people will find life if only they obey. That is true today, isn't it? People will find life if only they obey because God wants the best for you. He created you. He knows what you need. They stubbornly turn their backs on you and refuse to listen. I love that God always, always warns us. It may start out as a, a just a little whisper saying, you know what, daughter, you don't want to do that. And that's when we need to listen. But sometimes we're stubborn, just like the children of Israel are, aren't we? And so we'll go, oh, but it's so fun. I really like this show, or I really like this guy, or I really like, you know, just fill in the blank, whatever you're your poison is, so to speak. And then God will go, okay, I need to turn the heat up a little bit. So he gets a little bit louder, and he gets a little bit louder. And finally he says, okay, if you want to run out that front door and get hit, then maybe that's what will bring you back. Maybe that's what will save you again. And in this case, the Israelites were captured by their enemies. Remember, these are the people that conquered so many nations with the help of their God. And they decided that they didn't need God anymore, and they followed after other religions. Then verse 30 tells us, In your love you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit who warned them through the prophets, but still they wouldn't listen. So once again you allowed the peoples of the land to conquer them. And I love this. God was patient for many years. God is so patient because love is patient. He sent his spirit, but they wouldn't listen. They wanted to do their own thing. And never mistake God's patience with the fact that he's okay with what you are doing. Sometimes we think, you know, and I, I, I'm reminded of when I was little. If my mom didn't catch me, you know, my mom told me the other day, she goes, I always knew when you guys were doing bad things. And I go, you did? You never told us. But I always knew, she said. You know, and God's the same way. He always knows when we're doing bad things. But don't mistake in that for not knowing that we're doing bad things. He knows we are. He's just being very, very patient. Then verse 31, but in your great mercy, you did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. So despite their disobedience, God was merciful. He had every right to destroy them completely, but he did not because he loved them so much. Then verse 32 tells us, And now our, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love, do not let all the hardships we have suffered seem insignificant excuse me, insignificant to you. Great trouble has come upon us and upon our kings and leaders and priests and prophets and ancestors, all of your people from the days when the kings of Assyria first triumphed over us until now. So once again, now they're in captivity. Nehemiah himself was a slave. Do you remember that? And once again, they're crying out to God, please save us. Then Verse 33 tells us, every time you punished us, you were being just. We have sinned greatly, and you gave us only what we deserved. Now, they recognized God's authority over them and that he had the right to punish them. And he did only as much as they needed. He knew exactly how far to push them so that they would repent. That's why our God is so good. Then verse 34 tells us, Our kings, leaders, priests, and ancestors did not obey your law or listen to the warnings in your commands and laws. So most of the time, if a country has an evil ruler, the, the people just seem to follow suit. And that was especially true with the Israelites. Again, in the book of Kings, it is said 23 times that the, the new kings, when they began their rule, they did evil in the sight of God. They did evil. They did that 23 times. They had bad kings over and over and over again. They did not follow after God's law. And so God would have to 
bring punishment upon them. Then 35, even while they had their own kingdom, they did not serve you. Though you showered your goodness on them, you gave them a large fertile land, but they refused to turn from their wickedness. They recognized that God had given them so much. They're going, we don't know why our ancestor did, did this, but we are asking forgiveness for this. Then verse 36 and 7 says, So now today we are slaves in the land of plenty that you gave our ancestors for their enjoyment. He's talking about the Israelites here. We are slaves here in this good land. The lush produce of this land piles up in the hands of the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They have power over us and our livestock. We serve them at their pleasure, and we are in great misery. Isn't that sad? They had everything. And yet now, because of their disobedience, they are serving other people, the very people that they had originally conquered in the promised land. Then verse 38 says, the people responded, in view of all this, we are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing. On this sealed document are the names of our leaders and Levites and priests. So basically they're saying, we will not do this again. So now they're going to make this covenant and they're hoping to stick by it. So what is our lesson today? That was a lot. Are we any different from the Israelites? No, not a bit. We do the exact same thing in just in a different way. But remember, we have the Holy Spirit now that will guide us and direct us. Yes, they had the pillar and they had mil uh, miracles. They had the fire, all that kind of stuff. But they just seemed to forget about that so quickly. As the years would pass, they would forget all the goodness that the Lord did for them. But we now have the Holy Spirit promised to us when we received Christ. And then we look at all these wonderful attributes that we see written here in the scripture in Nehemiah 9. We need to actually look at these real deep, and I want to do that. And the first one I saw that really stood out and almost, it seemed like every other verse said mercy, God's mercy. And that is compassion shown towards someone who is within one's power to punish or harm. So basically it's saying you're not getting what you deserve. You deserve punishment, but because God is so merciful, he is showing us grace instead. Ephesians 4 Excuse me, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loves, loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Amen. How do we apply this godly attribute to our own lives? Because we have received the mercy, because God has been so merciful to us, we need to show mercy to others. We are to be his, ex his example. We are to live. We are to reflect Jesus. James also tells us in 2.13, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Yikes. I certainly want to be merciful. I mean, that. can you imagine? And even uh, Jesus talks about this very thing. He says that, that that same measure that you judge others, that will be brought on to you. That's a warning. You know, I think of it as a measuring stick, you know. If I'm being really merciful, then that's how God and others will show me mercy. That's how much. But if I'm not showing any mercy at all to people, God lets that come upon me. That's a great warning. Will you be saved? Of course. We're not talking about salvation here. We're just talking about uh, just being a more merciful person. This is what God wants. But just like the Israelites, we may have to suffer a bit when we uh, don't show mercy to others. And God will change our heart. 
Next, we see love, God's undying affection for us. 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God has made manifest among you that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God loves us so much, he sent his son so that we could have his righteousness. We could become children of God. God's love made it possible for us to live the life he has planned for us. Isn't that wonderful? And how should our response be? 1 John 4, 7 through 9. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for God, or excuse me, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So when God shows us love, our response should be that we love others. So we want to be merciful and we want to love people. Next is patience, the hardest one I think ever. Um, I am a very impatient person, just ask Jeff. Um, but patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry up or upset. Anyone else have trouble with that one? Mm. Yeah. But God was patient with his people when he didn't wipe them off the planet every time they blew it. You know, it just went on and on and on. When you read the Old Testament and you see how many times the Israelites blew it and God said, because I'm merciful, because I love you, I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to give you time to repent. 1 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some think so. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That's what he wanted for the Israelites. That's what he wants for us. That's what he wants for all of your loved ones that have not received him. Next, he is faithful to remain loyal or steadfast to their principles. Deuteronomy 7.9 tells us, Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Isn't that wonderful? He is always faithful. He can't be anything but faithful. Next, he's just acting or being in conformity with what is morally right or good. And I was thinking about this. I go, you know what? If he was truly just, he would give us what we deserve. We deserve death because we're sinners and we're constantly doing things wrong. If he was just, he would have uh, killed the Israelites. But then I started thinking, I'm going, okay, so how do I rectify that? I don't understand. But you see, God sees us through his son. Because Jesus wiped away our sins, we are now righteous. Therefore, he is being just because we're, we're squeaky clean now because we have received God's gift of salvation. You see how that works? So he can't do anything but be just. He says, you know what? I promised if you receive my son as your savior, I will see you then as righteous, as sinless, because that's the only way we can get to heaven. Isn't that wonderful? And because he's just, he has to fulfill that promise. That's what that means. I love that God is faithful. I love it. Philippians 3, 8 and 9, and this is one of my life verses. Paul says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. That's how it works. So he is being just. He is fulfilling his promises. We are righteous because we believe in Jesus and nothing else. So wrapping up, you know, we serve an amazing God. And because of God, we can find so much comfort in this scripture one could easily get discouraged when reading this. When we look at how weak the Israelites, knowing that we are the same way. But we could get great comfort knowing 
that even though they blew it over and over and over again, God was gracious. God was loving. God was patient. God was just. Likewise, when we blow it over and over and over again, and we do, we all do, God is still patient and merciful and loving and just and faithful. That should give us great encouragement. That is the God we serve, one who is just so patient with us and merciful. That is our God. Our God is the same God that they're talking about here in Nehemiah. I'll leave you with Zephaniah 317, one of my, another one of my favorite verses. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst. He is in our midst. He is here. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He rejoices over us with gladness. That's how much he loves us. He will quiet you with his love. When we think about how much he loves us, that should bring us so much comfort, knowing that no matter what we do, he still loves us regardless. And then he says, he will rejoice over you with singing. And I'm going, wait a minute, we're supposed to be singing to him. We're supposed to be singing praise songs to him. Think about that. He sings praise songs to us. He's going, you know, I, I'm not going to sing for you, but it's like, wow, you know, look at my daughters. Aren't they great? And he's just having a great time singing about us. That is who we serve. This is the God that will always be with us. He rejoices over us with gladness. He desires to have that kind of relationship with each one of us. He doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to understand who he is, and that is that loving and gracious and merciful, faithful, just God. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are an amazing, amazing God, and we love you so much. Thank you for being so merciful and so gracious and so faithful and so patient. Lord, that just amazes me that no matter how many times we stray, no, man, no matter how many times we try to escape outside, you are always there to bring us back, and you are so loving. And, Lord, sometimes you have to punish us for straying so far, but I know it's because you love us. You love me. Help us to truly understand this and take this little nugget home with us, Lord, that can transform lives. And as we talk about this even more in our groups, Lord, would you just anoint that time? Would you bless that time, we ask? In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't it so good to come and hear the truth of God's love for us? He so loves us. Um, before you have your table discussion, um, how many of you made it to the retreat? Yay. And it was awesome. And thank you for those of you who went and helped. Thank you so much. God did a great, wonderful work. Ladies gave their life to the Lord. Ladies rededicated their lives. And there was a great work done. So thank you very much. Christy Duff, our guest speaker, she taught four times. And then we had five workshops. They will all be available on the website in about a week. I'll confirm that with you next week. Um, the, all four of Christy Duff's messages were um, video recorded so you can watch it and two of the workshops were video recorded and three are audio but all that will be available so if you didn't make it you'll still be able to hear um, God's word and how we were encouraged and if you were there and you want to hear it again you'll be able to do that um, also we have some centerpieces still from the retreat there's one displayed at the information table. If you're interested, they're available for $20. And um, Nancy will be at the information table at the end of the group time. And um, if you'd like to purchase one of those, we'll, we're, we'll take cash or check only, please. So um, let us know if you're interested in that. And with that, um, that concludes our announcements. Is there anyone here for the first time? It's your first time to the Bible study? Wow. Welcome, ladies. 
it's good to have you. Um, for the next 30 minutes, we go through some um, ho the questions and the homework lesson, and, um, and then we'll um, close up at 8.30. But it's good to have you here, and um, the rest of you enjoy your discussion time at your table, and we'll wrap it up at 8.30.